Rest of you, if you have your Bibles this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to be. I invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. Feel free to, feel free to grab one of those. Uh, you can borrow it if you need to borrow it, and if you need to, uh, if you need to take it with you, it's our gift to you, because you don't have a Bible that you can read or can read and understand easily. Feel free. That is, that is our gift to you. No problem. Uh, we're going to be in, starting in verse 6 today and work our way down through the end of the chapter um, but I want to set the context up of this just a little bit like this. Uh, how many of you can remember this? I mean, you know, kind of is just we're just at that precipice in our house where um, the child who has been utterly dependent upon you for everything can now start doing things for himself or herself. For instance, at our house. Yes, glory, glory. Some of you are like, but they're 18. Shouldn't that? No, 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 no. For instance, our little one, our four-year-old can now, if she's thirsty, she can go to the fridge and with all of her body weight, tug the fridge open and get in there and get a yogurt drink or Capri Sun or whatever her, you know, beverage of choice is there. And you know what that, you know how freeing that is as a parent, right? Do you remember these days where you're like, oh, I don't have to stop what I'm doing, which is obviously tremendously important to the world and life, and yet go get you a drink. Okay, yeah. I've said one minute, one minute, one minute about 17 times, and I know that, okay. When she can go, you're and you're like, I don't care what you get. Coke, go for it. That's fine. Just don't, just don't. Because there's this, there's just this, this amazing thing when, when kids can um, kind of feed themselves and, and, Instead of feeding children, they're learning to feed themselves. How does that happen? There's always this, there's a ton of watching. I mean, nobody ever had to instruct her to open the fridge the way that she did. She just kind of figured it out because mom and dad opened the fridge that way. Brothers and sister opened the fridge that way. There's always watching. Sometimes there's a little bit learning. There's always trial and error. Always trial and error. Uh, but, but there's this sense of accomplishment. And only the unhealthiest of individuals rants and, I mean, raves, you know, gets frustrated that they're not doing it, you know, the, exactly the right way. Um, or, or a person, a, a kid who's trying um, and they failed. It, it may be inconvenient for me to l- let her do something, let somebody else do something, but um, only the unhealthiest of people rant and rave, right? So you never, you never see a kid who's learning to walk and falls you don't see a parent jump up and go down and go, can't you do it better than that? I know you're 13 months old, but can't you do it better? I mean, you don't, why? Because they're just learning, right? They're just learning. And so um, in, in this text, here's what we have. We have Paul laying out for Timothy this kind of spiritual growth emphasis um, and, and I wanted to put, when, whenever somebody talks about spiritual growth, there's always a lot of guilt, not always. Sometimes there's some guilt that kind of loads up on you for uh, any number of reasons, but it loads up on you, oh, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I, this is not that sermon, okay? This is the sermon that says, you may be going like this and then fall, but there is, there is a father who is looking down going, good try, let's get up and do this again. Further, there is that kind of watching and learning uh, um, process that's happening that makes it such that you and I need one another. 
The reason why my four-year-old can learn, to, I mean, can open the fridge is because she's watched people open the fridge. And the reason you and I can learn to grow spiritually in some of the ways that we do is because we're watching people. We need each other. And I'll just give a shout out to a couple of our ladies. I think both of them are in the room, so I won't identify, who intentionally, oh, they're, they're older ladies in our church who intentionally went to the women's retreat a couple of weekends ago for the sole purpose of getting to know some of the younger women. Word. That's exactly what we need. That is precisely what we need. We need models for younger people to watch so that they can learn. Will there be trial and error? Yes. Will there be failures at times? Yes. But we need each other in order to cheer one another along. So with all of that context in mind, with all of that uh, uh, process, if you will, of growing and learning in mind, um, here's what I want to do. I want to tackle this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, all of this doctrine stuff that he's just outlaid, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you followed, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Uh, this morning, the title of the sermon, if you have a bulletin, Simple Spiritual Growth. Uh, and I just want to make two statements about simple spiritual growth. First statement is have a plan. Have a plan. If you're, you and I are going to grow spiritually, guess one of the things, one of the important things, maybe the important thing that we're going to need. You know what we're going to need? A plan. That's what we're going to need. And Paul lays out a plan. I'll talk about it in just a second. But before we get there, let me just put two things in order here. Number one, nobody drifts into discipleship. Like you just don't get blown by the cultural waves and norms and kind of catch the wind of the world and it, that will blow you into discipleship. In fact, if you're looking for the world to help you drift or help you um, kind of uh, meander that way, I promise you it will put you in the exact opposite way of the way that you think you should go. The, the, the morass that is our cultural world today is pushing and on all of the forces are going opposite of the kingdom, opposite of growth, um, opposite of what God wants for our life. And, and it's, folks, it's only going to get worse from here. So let's just be clear. If we don't have a plan, we will not end up uh, people uh, as people who follow Jesus, as people who are transformed. We will not end up as disciples. Nobody drifts into discipleship. We have to intentionally make the choice to follow. We have to. Secondly, there is no accident on this. Okay, secondly, uh, no, no one thrives by focusing on what they shouldn't do. Some people have taken discipleship to say, 
okay, I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do this. And that's their plan for discipleship. The problem with saying, I'm not going to do that, 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 is, is all that is is building a fence and not actually helping you grow. Right? Okay, so now you know where the borders are. That's good, but it's not actually helping you grow. It does no good whatsoever to, to uh, you know, kind of go in your front yard, etch out the flower bed, pull all the grass up, and just leave it there. Like, you have to put something in there, and then you got to water the darn thing, right? I mean, there has to be a plan. Nobody grows. Nobody thrives by focusing on what you shouldn't do. So, uh, this is not the don't do. Is there a point where you need to be careful? Yes. Is it important to know where the lines are? Yes. This is what he says in verse 16. Keep a close watch on your life and your doctrine. He's telling this young pastor, keep a close uh, um, watch on yourself and the teaching. Persist in this and doing so you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Is there a time where you need to understand where the line is? Absolutely. But if you focus on that, if it's, if it's only that, then you won't actually thrive. So have a plan. Here's our positive plan. Uh, I know we've talked about this before. Uh, it's been a, a few years now, but this little figure will come up and it will be uh, helpful, I think, to understand. Um, uh, we kind of have these three pieces of this plan. Uh, the, the foundational piece is being nourished on the Word. And I'll go ahead and give you all of these and we'll kind of maybe come back to this. But nourished on the Word. Um, and then the second piece on the um, left there is that we are practiced in the disciplines. And then the last piece is that we're profiting in our suffering. Nobody signed up for that one, but then we'll just talk about it here in just a second, okay? Uh, let's, let's talk about that first and that, that foundational piece, though, nourished on the Word. Look at verse 6. Um, if you put these things before the brothers, what things? This, this doctrinal stuff, uh, way back in verse, in, excuse me, in chapter 3, um, verse 16, he's talking about manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels. We've done all of that. We did all of that this past week. This good doctrinal stuff. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being, you know, my Bible says trained, but maybe a good translation of that is nourished. Nourished in the words of the faith and of, um, uh, and of the good doctrine that you followed. Nourished. Nourished. Um, if you went to the gym... Um, and you got under the bench press, and you're ready to, you know, kind of do your thing. But all you've had to eat for the past, uh, you know, um, two or three days is Snickers bars. Now they make a funny commercial, right? Betty White becomes a football player and all that kind of stuff. I mean, hilarious commercials. But the reality is, if you get under a bench bench press, and 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 you go to, you know, do the thing, and all you've had is Snickers bars, at some point, what are you going to meet? Failure, right? Because you will, it will come down. Maybe one time you can do it. Maybe five times you can do it. There will come a point, though, when it comes down and you're like, uh, this is not getting back up. Help! Help! And the number of Snickers bars won't matter at all. Why? Because the Snickers bars, here's what they, they provide a certain kind of calorie, that's for sure, but it doesn't actually nourish you so that you grow. Little energy hit, sure, but it doesn't nourish you so that you grow. In the same way, the scriptures for us are that good, hearty, healthy meal that nourish us, that help us do things to grow. There are times when Jesus asks us to do things that are difficult, that are hard. Sometimes they're repetitious. There are things that Jesus is going to ask us to do that you know what we will need? We will need good, solid, biblical calories, if you will, in order to accomplish this and in order to grow. And so when he talks about being nourished on the Word, that's what we're talking about, taking in good, solid, 
um, healthy, if you will, biblical calories. So I'll just give you a couple things on here. When we nourish ourselves on the Word, do these things. Number one, have a Bible reading plan. Like, have a plan. Um, I've promoted this uh, from here. I've done it in conversations. I personally use uh, the one written by Robert Murray McShane. He was a Scottish pastor back in the long time ago, uh, in the um, 1800s. A Presbyterian guy, we won't hold that against him. Uh, just a joke, just a joke. Um, but he put together a Bible reading plan for his, for his church. And they, it's um, an Old Testament reading, um, a New Testament reading, typically a reading from the Psalms. And, there's this, and you go through the entire Bible uh, in a year, in the New Testament twice, the Old Testament once, and the Psalms twice. It's a great plan, and it lets you read from all over. I use that, I've used it for years now, years, okay? But here's the thing, you don't have to use that. There are apps out there that help you. Uh, uh, you, know, you can read the Bible chronologically. You can read Old Testament and then the New Testament and then back to the Old Testament and New Testament. There's all sorts of plans out there. Just have a plan. Just have a plan. Just have a thing that says, this is what I'm going to do. If you're going to be pers- a person who's nourished on the Word, have a plan. Um, but you can't, don't just, this is where it's, it's uh, really important. You don't just Um, read the Bible, though, you kind of have to chew on it and ingest it. This is where you really get the calories, right? This is where you really get the good stuff soaked in, is that you have to chew on this and ingest it. One of the dangers of my little app that I use to make sure I'm on track here is um, once I, you know, read the little chapter, I can check the box. It can become sometimes more about checking the box. Anybody with me on that? And so I I don't want to be a box checker. I want to say, God, you've given me your word. I want to open it this morning, and I want to read it this morning, and I want to let it soak into who I am. So I want to read it. Two things. I want to read it slowly, and I typically want you to read it, and I'm going to read it with something in my hand so that I can mark it up. And you can come up here and look at my Bible, and there's stuff written and dates and things where God spoke. I want to read it slowly. I want to chew it, and I want to ingest it. Have a plan and then have a plan to make sure that you read it slowly. One of the best ways uh, to ingest it is to memorize it. What if you took um, one verse out of all the stuff that you read and just concentrated on it for a week, and you, just, you memorized that verse or those couple of verses? Our kids do it at Awana. Guess what? Your brain is not so um, wrinkled with thought that you can't memorize it too, right? All those information things that are happening in your brain, you've got more space is what I'm saying. Your hard drive is not full. You can memorize it. You can. It just takes a little bit of work and a little bit of effort and a little bit of intentionality. Have a Bible reading plan and then memorize it. And thirdly, use it to guide your prayers. Use your scriptures in the reading in the scriptures to guide your prayers. Why? Because, number one, it keeps you aligned with what God wants. You ever wondered, okay, gee, I wonder how God's feeling about this. Open your Bible. It may very well tell you. Like, read it. And then you, you can pray about these things. Here, you know, here we are, God. We're reading this. Okay, just I'll give you an example. Down in verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. What a great, what a great verse to pray for your teenager. What a great verse to pray for my teenager. So it keeps me in line. It keeps me aligned with God's word. And further, does anybody have this problem when they sit down to pray that you're like, dear God, thank you so much today that you're here and that you're present and that you're faithful and that you're patient. And I forgot to let the dog out. I need to remember to do that. Oh yeah. And then I also have to, anybody ever have that moment? 
right? Where you're like, and so, you know, you do all the things you can, remember to write the stuff, let the dog out, do the other thing, that kind of thing. For me, it keeps me focused. If I've got my Bible open and I'm using it to guide my prayers, it keeps me focused. So not only am I in line with what God says, I'm also focused here. And I can, I can move through the things that I need to pray about, I need to put before him. I can move through those things with this sense of focus. So have a Bible reading plan, memorize the scripture, and use it to guide your prayers. Secondly, Second portion of that triangle, we had the foundational piece, and it is foundational. This nourished on the Word of God. The second piece of that triangle was practiced in the disciplines. Look at verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Um, rather, and you can just write out there Facebook or any other social media thing that you do. Like, it's crazy out there these days. Just write out there, have nothing to do with social media. That's, that's not totally what it says, but it's coming close. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Exercise or discipline yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You and I would be practiced in the disciplines. When we talk about the disciplines, um, what we're talking about is learning from people who've gone before how they grew spiritually. And we certainly look in the scriptures for these kinds of things. We'll talk about three here in just a second. But we not only learn from the scriptures, we can learn from people who are around us, people who are in our church, people who have existed in church history. We can learn from them, practiced in the disciplines. There are three that I think are so important for where we are as a culture uh, and certainly where we are as a church, and I'll just give them to you for your consideration. Uh, the first one is fasting, because fasting brings focus and it brings freedom. Fasting brings focus and it brings freedom. Um, uh, fasting is, if you don't know much about it, fasting is, is um, kind of this self-denial discipline where you abstain from something that you live on. Typically, it's what? Food. Okay, so typically, you know, you miss a meal or two meals or three meals on purpose, or maybe you go three or four days without food on purpose because it brings focus and it brings freedom. Um, we're not talking about focus. What we're talking about is this: um, th this kind of, uh, you know, when you miss a meal, at least when I miss a meal, maybe you're holier than me, but when I miss a meal, at some point my stomach will go like that, right? And that, for me, is a prompt. It's a reminder to pray for this thing that I'm fasting for, or to um, uh, consider that, that you know, uh, hey, you know, God, I need to stop right now and I need to do this. It's just this kind of reminder. It brings, it brings focus, if you will. Um, it, it, it remembers, uh, it, it helps me remember until that habit forms. Anybody have a habit that they're trying to form right now? The dentist that I go see, she's got me working on flossing. So I'm trying to do things. I'm trying to put things in my visual field in the morning at my little sink to remind me to floss more often than, you know, when I go see the dentist. That's you know, how that goes, right? I'm trying to, anybody with me on that? Okay, anybody? Thank you. Four of you are with me. Great. Um, Fasting is that kind of thing where it's a prompt, it's a reminder. Hey, I need to be focused on this. But it also brings freedom. Because fasting, one of the great things, one of the great gifts that fasting does for you and for me is it provides for us um, an avenue by which we train our bodies that it doesn't get what they want immediately, always. Our world lives for a, I have a bodily impulse or desire, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to do it. Fasting says, thank you for your input, body. I appreciate that. 
Um, no, no, not right now. That whole delayed gratification thing, boy, we struggle with that, don't we? Um, and so, just culturally, we struggle with that. Fasting says, listen, uh, body, you're important. Believe me, you're important. I can't do anything without you, but, but you're not in charge. And so what it does, it, 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 these impulses, these desires that are in us bodily, it says to them, oh, those are good, those are important, but they're not in charge. It breaks that habit of saying yes to absolutely everything that I have to, it, this, this incessant drumbeat of the body that it must have what it wants and it must have what it wants now. It brings focus and it brings freedom. That's fasting, that, just for your consideration. Secondly, giving. Giving breaks greed. Um, materialism is, is a huge struggle in our suburban culture. And so let me just say uh, that any time that we can practice disciplined and intentional generosity, one of the things that will be the fruit of that, not only kingdom work that happens out there, but one of the things that will be the fruit of that is that we figure out we really can live on less than we have. It is difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of the heavens. Why? Because stuff is like spiritual cholesterol. It kind of clogs our hearts, right? And so we intentionally, intentionally, disciplined to give something away regularly, to practice this kind of thing so that this stuff clears out of us, right? So that it makes room to actually become a generous person. You don't mean a generous person who's that way naturally, typically. You meet a generous person uh, who is disciplined. They've, they've learned to give and learn to give, and therefore they give. They've, they just give out of their heart. It breaks greed. This, again, much needed in our suburban context here where so much of, you know, so much of what we measure the worth of our life is the net worth of our life. And that's true for kids too. So giving breaks greed. It, it destroys materialism. Lastly, this is a difficult one for a ton of us. Solitude. Solitude. It brings satisfaction. Solitude brings satisfaction. Solitude, if, again, if you're not sure what we're talking about here, this is just setting aside time to be alone. And every introvert in the room is like, yes, this is my kind of discipline. The pastor says that I... It's not just for introverts, though. It's that kind of thing where you intentionally set time aside uh, to step out of the world. You put your phone in the drawer or in the other room or wherever so that it doesn't buzz and bother you. And you just maybe an hour, uh, maybe a couple of hours, maybe after the kids are in bed or before they get up, you take some time to get all of the distractions, all of the other voices out of the way. You shove them all aside and say, this is time for me to be alone. And what you discover is you're not actually alone. That's the beauty of this. You discover that you're not really alone. So when we practice this discipline of solitude, we figure out, hey, God is really Emmanuel, God with us. Sometimes we're so distracted uh, that we rarely get glimpses of all of the glory that's surrounding us, all of the things that God is doing in the world. And we certainly don't have room in our lives to do this old practice of pondering things where we just sit and we think. We don't have other input or other stimuli. We, we don't know what to do. Um, because what you behold is what you become, I'm afraid that we're becoming uh, distracted and shallow with no capacity for reverence. That's what I'm afraid of. It's so important for all of us. Just let solitude promote in us this kind of satisfaction in God. You don't 
have to have something in hand. You can be in the presence of the holy and not have to worry about being entertained. So we've got this plan, nourished on the word, practice in the disciplines. And the last one is profitable, profitable in suffering. He talks about how this is a trustworthy and deserving uh, saying and deserving of full acceptance. And then verse 10, for to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe toil and strive. Some of the uh, manuscripts also say suffer um, and suffer reproach in the middle of this. So you, you've got this kind of suffering side here where they toil and they strive and they suffer potentially, you know, this, this kind of thing. And there. I just, when we profit in suffering, when we have this plan to profit in suffering, one of the things that we, um, there, there is a kind of unprofitable suffering. Let me just say that. It's when people uh, endure it bitterly and without a focus on God. He's very clear about profitable suffering. What does he say? Uh, because we have our hope set on the living God. If you want to know how to suffer well and suffer in a way that profits you um, down the road, what do we do? We set our hope on the living God. We say, God, this is stuff that's going on in my world. God, this is stuff that's happening in my body. God, this is stuff that's happening to my family. But listen, my hope is not in my body. My hope is not in the world. It's not in the political process. It's not in my family. My hope, God, is in you. I set my hope on the living God. That's how you, that, that's how you profit in suffering is keep your eyes focused there. Um, this passage from Romans 5 uh, should pop up here. Mike, you got that one? Um, you've been around church. You know this. Not only this, it says. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces what? Hope. Like set your hope on the living God kind of. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out or shed abroad, a waterfalled out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. When we suffer and do so in a profitable way, we're not rejoicing in the trial. Don't miss that. We're not rejoicing in the trial. Hey, i so excited that suffering has come. That's not what... We're rejoicing in the hope. The reason why we can rejoice in the trial is because we have hope in the living God. That's why we can do that. God, here I am, and I'm going through this. Here's what I know. I know that this is not pointless. I know this is not going to be fruitless. My hope is set on you, so work whatever you need to work in my life in order to, do, in order to, to, to um, make me who you want me to be. There are things, listen to me, church, there are things that you can only learn in the school of suffering. God can't teach you any other way. So, rather than grouse about it, what do we say? God, my hope is in you. And a hundred years from now, a hundred years from now, this is not going to matter a lick. So my hope is in you. Therefore, I'm going to go ahead and rejoice. I'm going to go ahead and rejoice. But that's not all. This is the crazy part for me. It's not just that they, they endured suffering when it came their way, there were times when Paul and his friends, they not only profited when trials came, but sometimes they actually chose the riskier road. When it says, we toil and strive, what's he talking about? He's talking about, at times, choosing the more difficult path because of the things that God would work in them. They knew that it would. And our world is bent towards comfort. Our culture loves it. And so, you know, when we have path A that looks easy and path B that looks a little more difficult, we're always choosing A. And I'm not saying that's unwise. 
I am saying when we look at Paul and others, there are times when they intentionally choose a more difficult path, intentionally choose something uh, riskier. I, I will speak of it in my own world. This is not tooting the Henderson horn here, but listen, the, you know, the Henderson family, we intentionally chose to adopt and adopt the kids that we did. And somehow, some way, God has worked an incredible thing, not only in our lives, but in their lives as well. And I think in our church family's life, had we not done that, guess what? Have we not taken this riskier path? Some of the things that had happened to us, some of the things that we've learned along the way, some of the things that have been worked in our lives, would, I don't think they would have happened that way. Sometimes the riskier path is worth it. And that's certainly for Paul. So the plan, nourish yourself on the word, be practicing the disciplines, and profit in the middle of suffering. Last, last comment here is when you do so, there's just no excuses. Don't make excuses. Paul, writing to his protege here, verse 11, command and teach these things. Verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. No excuses. Uh, one of the excuses that often comes up in spiritual growth is this. Uh, well, I, I'm just too whatever it is. You know, and Paul says very clearly, you're not just too blank. In Timothy's case here, you're not too young. You're not too young to grow. You're not too young to pastor this church in Ephesus. Uh, you know, it's crazy people almost 10 years ago called a 33-year-old to be their pastor here. Y'all were nuts. You probably are, but I, that's, you're not too young. You're not too old. You're not too damaged. You're not um, uh, too, you don't have too much baggage to drag along with you. Whatever your excuse may be, you're not too whatever. Again, Timothy's case, it was you're not too young. The call is always, 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 no matter if you're young or old, the call is always to set an example. Here he goes, an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, until I come, because Timothy's serving as a pastor, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. In other words, Timothy, you know what to do, now get about doing it. Church family, some of us know exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Get about doing it. There's no excuse here. Second excuse that often comes up is, I, I don't think I can blank, whatever it may be. I don't think I can really get, do this. I don't think I, I'm actually gifted enough to do this. I don't think I, I'm the right person, whatever it may be. I don't think I can blank. In, in Timothy's case, look at verse 14. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands uh, on you. In Timothy's case, I'm, I don't think I can pastor this church. He struggled. He struggled. We see that in 2 Timothy. He struggled with fear. So Paul says, God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and self-discipline. He's going, I, I'm not sure I'm up for the task here. Paul says, yes, you are. Remember what happened. God spoke. The elders laid their hands on you. You have a gift. You don't think you can? You can. Not because you're so great, but because God has done this in you. Paul says, you were given a gift. You need to practice these things. Look at verse 15. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. I love that. So that all may see your progress. Do what you're supposed to be doing. Immerse yourself in these things, and people will watch, and they will learn from you too. It, on the front of the bulletin, it says, simple spiritual growth. 
I, and again, I've tried to make this just as simple as can be. I mean, you nourish yourself on the word, you practice the other disciplines, uh, you profit in your suffering. Here's what it's not called, easy spiritual growth. Because there's no such thing. We're fighting external things and we're fighting internal things. But every one of us can grow. So put into place a plan for you. Let me tell you, one of the great gifts um, that we could give one another is encouragement along the way. So man, if you need some encouragement along the way, if you need help establishing a plan, whatever it may be, come find one of us. Find a, an older person in the congregation who's like, ah, I've been there, Let, let's do this. We can encourage one another along the way. Simple spiritual growth, not easy, but simple. Because we can do this. We can do this. And God will use this kind of thing to transform us. So let me pray, and then we'll sing a little bit together.